What a special Feast of Tabernacles, hello to everyone. It's certainly great to be able to rejoice before God at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, He tells us that that is one of the great purposes of the feast. And so here we're going to be going through some scriptures that are going to help you to make sure that this is a memorable Feast of Tabernacles for you. Some of the most challenging and painstaking work is in the area of art restoration. Uh, The restorer's job is to remove cracked and peeling paint and to replace it with as close as possible new paint. The specialist must understand how paint was made three or four hundred years ago and uh, then to blend the new paint with the old. Uh, It's important that he or she must be careful not to undo the subtle nuances of the original artist. And, of course, it's important that uh, that particular restorer is able to understand the, you might say, the thinking of that artist. And for that reason, quite often you will find that a restorer will only really deal with the work of one or two, maybe three, of the Grand Masters. So art restoration uh, can be a very, very time-consuming uh, job, and it can, it can pay well. For those who are absolute uh, professionals in their area, uh, they can command high salaries and high rewards. So restoration of the old master's paintings is an important part of the art world's, what you might say, uh, um, world. And so I'd like us to think a little bit, if we can, for the moment, about the subject of restoration. Uh, Restoration can also take place with old bridges, old buildings, old cars. (laughs) In my time, I have restored a a Mark II Daimler 2.5-litre uh, V8 uh, car from about 1966. Uh, that was some time ago, but it was an, an absolute delight to, to drive the vehicle once it had been restored. Uh, people restore not just old cars, but even old trains and old airplanes. Did you realize that the greatest restoration product, project that has ever taken place or will ever take place is the way to say it, is just very soon in the future. What am I talking about? What am I talking about when I talk about the greatest restoration project? Let's turn, if we can, to Acts chapter 3 and verse 21. The book of Acts, chapter 3, and in verse 21. Notice what it says here regarding restorations. It says... Well, maybe we should read verse 20. It says, "...and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until..." Until what? "...until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began." The restoration or the restitution of all things. Isn't that a rather a broad statement, all things? It certainly is. And when it says the restitution and the restoration of all things, it doesn't just mean the physical world. It means the whole universe, ultimately. And it also is not just dealing with and talking about physical things. It's talking about spiritual as well. 
So the Feast of Tabernacles pictures a period of time where Jesus Christ will return to this earth to re-establish the government of God on the earth. There was a time when Adam and Eve were first created before Satan was able to get to them that everything was good and pure and holy. And initially when Adam and Eve were under the guidance and direction and the instruction of God, they were in harmony with him. But as you know and we all know, they listened to the serpent, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we have had 6,000 years of mankind living a life which is a mixture of good and evil. And, you know, if you take a, a glass of water, which is pure and uh, no contamination, and you pour into that glass of water polluted, dirty, filthy uh, water, it will spoil and sully the pure, clean water. But if you take the clean water and pour it into the dirty water, it doesn't make it pure. It might dilute it a little bit, but it doesn't make it pure. And that's why Jesus Christ has to come back and purify and cleanse the whole world and start afresh and to restore everything to what it should have been and was originally. So God is not going to wallpaper over the old cracks and the structural faults of this world. He is going to restore that which has been destroyed by Satan, the devil, and mankind over the last 6,000 years. Do you want to join the restoration program? Do you want to be on the team that Jesus Christ will establish and set up to reestablish the pure way of thinking and doing things? Well, if you would like to join the team, applications are being taken today. And so it is that we, as God's people, have this important, you might say, concept to develop in our minds that we want to be a part of Jesus Christ's restoration of the whole world. So today we're going to start with what is, you might say, the, the tree, the tree of life, as opposed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And who is the trunk of that tree? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ. He is the trunk, and we and the churches of God are the branches of the tree. And then from the branches come the boughs, and from the boughs come the, the smaller branches, until finally down to the very twigs. And you might say that each one of us might be a leaf on a twig, on a, on a branch of a bough of the trunk of the tree. And so each one of us has a part to play in the wonderful and great project that God is establishing and setting up. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40, because this is a scripture that tells us a little bit about the one who is the source of all power, the one who is the source of all wisdom and might, the mighty God. And we understand when we read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, that this is what you and I want to be a part of. 
Notice what it says here in Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is that great God of this universe who gives us the power and the strength and the ability to bring about a whole new world when Jesus Christ returns. Let's have a look at Isaiah 42 now and verse 5, just a few pages over to Isaiah chapter 42 and in verse 5. You know, the great God of heaven is observing and is watching everything that happens on this earth. It says in verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God Almighty is able to predict the future because God Almighty sets the future and brings it to pass. And you and I have the privilege and honor of knowing and understanding this great plan of God long before it is brought to fruition. You and I, in some ways, here at the Feast of Tabernacles, are actually living a life yet future. We left behind us, when we came to the Feast of Tabernacles, this world, the cares of this world, the troubles of the workplace, the worries about whether we are going to have a job to go back to at the end of the feast. You know, many of us are here and we've had to leave family and friends behind. But don't look back. Look forward. Think about your calling that God has given you personally, and be ready to be a part of the restoration of all things. So that's what we're talking about here this afternoon, or this this morning, or whatever time it is for you. God is the source of all power, as we said, and he wants to use us to help him change the world. He is the solid trunk of the tree, and his son Jesus Christ is grafted into that tree. Let's go to John chapter 17, John 17, verses 20 to 23, and just notice the closeness, the bond, the relationship that exists between God the Father and Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, verse 20, uh, Jesus was praying in the uh, very last moments before his crucifixion. And he said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they 
Who's the they? That's us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Have you noticed at the Feast of Tabernacles that when you are together with one another and maybe at the restaurant or at an activity or whatever it is or talking after services, that there's a special spirit of unity and oneness that exists? Have you noticed that you can talk with people and there is a a spirit of unity and oneness and love and concern and care for one another? That comes from God. That's a gift that is given to each one of us. And it seems each Feast of Tabernacles that that is amplified and exaggerated in such a way that that which is negative and that which is uh, petty-minded is just put away. And the big scope, the big hope, the big plan for the future fills our minds and fills the whole Feast of Tabernacles spirit Uh, that is around us at the time. So just as God the Father and Jesus Christ are one, and their will is the same, it is from this same source that you and I are able to develop the mind and the spirit of God the Father and of Jesus Christ. You know, God is going to cut down and remove the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's going to be destroyed. And in its place will come up the tree of life. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, if we can, everyone. Colossians chapter 1. Remember, we were talking about the restitution or the restoration of all things. What does that mean? Well, if we go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we'll just get a bit of an idea. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start here in verse 15 and go through to verse 17. It says, He... Jesus Christ, that is, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now listen carefully, please, everyone. For by him, by Jesus Christ, that is, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. So the whole of the physical creation of billions of stars and galaxies and constellations all of those, as well as the earth. But then it says, visible and invisible. What does that mean? Well, it means that the visible, the physical, he created, but the invisible, the spirit world. We know from other scriptures that God created the angels. And one third of the angels rebelled against God and followed their leader, Lucifer, who then became Satan the devil. But Jesus Christ is going to restore all things. And so here we find that it says that he's going to restore thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, there it is again, all things consist. 
So Colossians 1, 15 to 17 is an important scripture for us to understand what is being talked about when we talk about the restoration of all things. It means all things physical and all things spiritual. Now let's go back to a favorite uh, Feast of Tabernacles sermon. It's, uh, uh, sorry, scripture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you're new to the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to get to know these scriptures. And each year as you hear them, you'll just be filled with, with hope uh, because you realize that these are going to be uh, fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, sorry, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, I, you're right, I had turned to Isaiah 6. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is trying to be like his father. The actual uh, Hebrew word can be translated creator or life giver, which is one of the titles that is belongs to Jesus Christ. So if we are talking about Jesus Christ, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting creator and life giver, prince of peace. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. And how will it come about? Look at the rest of the verse. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know, God has a zeal to see the restoration of all things, to be brought back to how it should have been, how the way it was before mankind <coughs> perverted and polluted this beautiful earth. We're going to see a thousand years on this earth where people and animals and the whole ecosystem will work in harmony and in peace and it will just flourish and and things will just increase in it in their in their wholesomeness and their goodness in every possible way now let's go if we can to Zechariah chapter 14 Zechariah one of the latter books of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14, and we're going to read here in verse 9, Zechariah 14, 9. It says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, look at this, the Lord is one and his name one. And as we read in John 17, just as God the Father and Jesus Christ are one, we will be one with them as well, and we will be one with one another. There will just be a beautiful harmony and peace. We all know that the government is the source of order and stability in a society. It's hard to imagine, but Jesus Christ will be in charge of this world for a thousand years. Don't be shocked by this. You're going to have regular contact with Jesus Christ. Because you will be a spirit being, you will be able to talk with him and visit with him <clears throat> whenever you wish. And he will visit with you. 
and talk with you. You'll be able to ask him advice, share your thoughts and your hopes with him. And he won't be aloof. You know, he won't be sort of so high up there that you have to make an appointment. And it's just going to be a, a, a very, very um, pleasant experience being able to walk up to him and talk to him. He will listen to you. You'll be able to give him the good news of how your city uh, is making great progress. And uh, he will already know everything about what you've been doing, and he'll praise you. He'll say, well done, you good and faithful servant. And he'll give you some advice. He'll say, well, uh, have you been working with some of your leaders to develop uh, uh, some of our younger men in that city? Well, no, I've just been working with the people that uh, I, I, I know are trustworthy. Well, that's fine, but you need to give new opportunities to some of the younger men and women. Let them develop in their skills as well. And so he will take an active interest in what you're doing. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. This is, once again, one of those key millennial scriptures that we always read at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I don't know uh, which day of the feast you're going to be listening to this uh, sermon but I know this one thing, that you're going to hear this sermon several times at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass <coughs> in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be ex exalted above the hills, and all nations <coughs> <excuse me, coughs> shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. <coughs> so his ways, his paths, and his laws will be open to everyone. He will judge the nations, and they will renounce war. It says they will not learn war anymore. At this time, in this age today, trillions of dollars are spent on arms and weapons and, you know, instruments of death. <coughs> I don't know whether you realize it, but 3% of the world's gross domestic product each year is spent on armaments. The two biggest defense manufacturing countries in the world are... We shouldn't be proud of this, the United States and Great Britain. About 1.5 million British workers are dependent on their jobs because they're in the defence industry, which brings in £4.1 billion pounds in exports to the United Kingdom. That's over US$6 billion. US dollars. Notice verses 12 through to verse uh, 18 of Isaiah chapter 2. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up. You know, anything that is, you know, you might say proud and arrogant will be brought down. It says, upon every high tower, verse 15, 
and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. You know, (laughs) it might sound strange, but if you met God or Jesus Christ, you would be amazed at how down-to-earth they are. They'd just be able to talk to you just like you've been old friends for a long time. You'll be respectful, of course, because of their great power and might, and they, you would never want to be you know, familiar or flippant or in any way disrespectful to God or Jesus Christ, but you will find that when you talk with God ultimately, I mean, the end of the millennium, at the end of the great white throne judgment when God comes to live with all mankind, but especially when Jesus Christ is on the earth, when you talk with him, you will find that he is so easy to talk to. He's going to be so interested in what you're doing. That is a part of the restoration of all things. See, it's not just physical things like mountains and, and you know, trees and, and uh, valleys and, you know, all of the physical things or even the buildings that are rebuilt. It's about attitudes. It's about the way people think. It's humility. It's the ability to to be totally concerned and interested in the welfare of others. And that's the way Jesus Christ is. So we will be the same. We will be humble. And unlike the great and the proud of the world today, we will be able to talk with people with confidence and yet with simplicity and humility. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. This is an interesting aspect that we probably don't cover a great deal in the uh, sermons that we have at the Feast of Tabernacles, but I just want to make that point, that God the Father and Jesus Christ are the most humble people, or not people, but persons that you will ever, ever meet. Notice what it says here in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 11. It says here, in that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Can you see that? It's a fantastic scripture. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people. Well, who's that going to be? That's going to be us. God is going to bring you into the kingdom and into the midst of people. And they are going to be, initially they're going to be very fearful because, I mean, after all, we're going to have an awful lot of power. We're going to be able to read people's minds. We're going to be able to, you know, destroy that which is wicked and evil. So people will be fearful of us. But what they will learn quickly is that we are not proud and arrogant, that we are humble. Verse 12, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. And then it talks about Israel. 
The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. What a beautiful scripture. Now let's notice, if we, if we can, uh, we're going to go to um, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be reading quite a lot from the book of Isaiah here today. Isaiah chapter 60. And we're going to start the, uh, the uh, reading here from verse 3. It says, The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. <coughs> and you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Isn't this beautiful? Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. So here we have this description of what is going to come to Israel <coughs> during the millennium. Now notice uh, uh, verse 10. It says, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. <coughs> For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be opened continually. They shall not be shut day nor night that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. All of these are millennial scriptures. Let's go back to, or forward now, to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 18. And notice what it tells us here about the millennial rule of Christ when he is restoring all things. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 18. If you've already turned there, you'll be able to Join me to read verse 18 of Jeremiah 30. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Let's drop down, if we can, to um, verse 20. Their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For this, for who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, God says, and I will be your God. Beautiful scripture. Captive Israel will return to Jerusalem and then from there will spread out to their homelands around the world. Notice, if we can, Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19. This is once again one of those favorite Feast of Tabernacles scriptures. Even though Israel will return from captivity and have been, will have been through terrible um, suffering, God promises Israel this great promise. In Isaiah chapter 30, starting in verse 19, For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. He says, You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you. At the sound of your cry, when he hears it, he will answer you. 
And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Who will that be? Well, that will be us. We will be the resurrected saints, established, brought up by Jesus Christ, changed into spirit beings so that at some times we are invisible. But just like Jesus Christ was able to be invisible and then become visible in one place after his resurrection, he just appeared in a room. There he was. Didn't come through the door. He just appeared. And of course, the the poor disciples got a great ah, shock. Let, Let me just ask that when you're a spirit being, don't scare people by just appearing right before them. Otherwise, they're going to get a, a real shock. But it does say that the, your teachers will be not be moved into a corner anymore. Your eyes shall see your teachers. So you will be there to teach the Israelites and the, and the Gentiles who have come through the terrible, terrible tribulation in the day of the Lord. Verse 21, it says, You shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So you will give the instructions and tell people how they should live. And on the Sabbath day, you will be giving the sermons. You will be visiting people, much like the ministry does at this time. People will come to you for advice. And of course, I know what you're going to say. Well, don't ask me. I don't know the answer. Well, but the thing is, you will know the answer because you will be a spirit being. You will be a son of God. You will be perfect in your reasoning and thinking. You will never say something which you'll be ashamed of later. You won't make any mistakes. God will give you his wisdom so that you'll be astounded at what comes out of your mouth as you talk to people and they ask you the simplest questions. They'll come to you and some of you ladies who will be spirit beings There'll be mothers there with little children. They'll say, what do I do with my little child? And even though you might not have ever had children yourself, you'll be able to give the perfect answer. And they will come back to you with their children after several days and weeks. And they, with tears in their eyes, will thank you for the help and the advice that you gave them and that they implemented and has brought about such wonderful results in the life of their children. Oh, it's going to be exciting, isn't it? To be involved in what? The restoration of all things. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, and in verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look at verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now, we know that that refers to Jesus Christ, but it does say to us in 1 John that we shall see Jesus Christ and we shall be like him 
because we shall see him as he is and we will be like Jesus Christ. And so that means that not only will Jesus Christ have these qualities, I'm now going to read verse 2 to you and I want you to apply it to the way that you will be in the kingdom of God. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon you, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, that will be upon you. And you, as I said, will always give the right answer. It's going to be an amazing time that is coming. It's an amazing thing, but you're going to be able to read people's minds, but you will never use it in a negative or or a, how can I use it, a mischievous way. You will only ever use it to help people. Imagine being able to have, as I said, the right words to say every time. I want to take you to another scripture, this time in Isaiah chapter 11 and in verse 6. Because what this gives a picture of is a world where there is no danger or harm. It says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Does that mean that God's going to have to change the, the dental pattern of a, of a, of a lion? So instead of having two big incisors here for ripping meat, they'll have a nice set of, uh, of teeth like a, like a sheep or a goat. <laughs> I've often wondered if God's going to have to change the way that, <clears throat> that the lion eats the straw. But look at verse 8. It says the nursing child, that's the little, you know, 12-month-old, the little child that's crawling or just just starting to walk, it says, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child, that's the two-year-old or thereabouts, shall play by the cobra's hole. Uh, Sorry, um, the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, you know, that's not just going to be uh, being safe from harm when it comes to wild animals or, or snakes or whatever. It says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. That means people won't hurt one another. There'll be no fraudulent, you know, crooks and fraudsters who set out to defraud people of their money. There will be a total different way of thinking. People will want to help one another and not try and get from one another. Salesmen won't want to sell something just to make a profit. Salesmen will sell products because they have a good product to sell, which is going to be good for the customer, and that will be their motivation. It's a different way of thinking. And that's what it's going to be like in God's kingdom. Isaiah chapter 32 now, verse 5. We're going to have pure morality and justice in the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 5. Notice what it says. It says, The foolish person 
will no longer be called generous. <laughs> it says, nor the miser said to be bountiful. Uh, the word generous can also be translated as noble. So let's read verse 5 that way. The foolish person will no longer be called noble, nor the miser said to be bountiful. <clears throat> For the foolish person will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity until such time as he is ultimately repentant and turns around. Notice chapter, uh, verse 16, Isaiah 32, verse 16. I love this. Listen to this. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Now, are you ready for the next verse? It says, the work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance forever. Huh. People will not be suspicious, cynical, sarcastic, nasty. People will not be gullible, but people will not be, you know, manipulative either. Can you see what this restoration of all things means? It has more to do with attitudes, and it has a lot to do with the way we treat one another. Notice chapter 33, verse 5. It says, the Lord is exalted, <clears throat> for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. You want me to read that again? Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times. It won't be like today, where politicians are unstable, where they lack wisdom, where they have no knowledge. Look what it says after that. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. We're coming to a time where men and women, especially older men and women, will have white hair and wisdom. And they'll be noble. They'll be self-controlled. There'll be no foolishness or stupidity. People will mature into responsible adults it's a wonderful time that is coming jesus christ will establish righteousness and justice the vulnerable and the defenseless will be protected notice isaiah 33 verse 1 <clears throat> woe to you who plunder though you have not been plundered and you who deal treacherously though they have not dealt treacherously with you what will happen to them? When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. And when you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. You know, God is the author of proper revenge and vengeance. Not that he is cruel and unkind, but God will not let people get away with it. If they have been unjust, if they have been treacherous, they're going to have to face up to what they have been doing. So it's going to be a very different world to what we have today. Philippians chapter 4 will be, you might say, the benchmark of the way people will do business with each other. Uh, this will be the, the benchmark in the way that neighbors uh, treat each other.
just as we strive and try to do in the church and especially here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Oh, I look forward to the time in the world tomorrow where Satan will have been put away and the demons will be chained up with him and people will not be motivated by greed and vanity and hostility and pride and anger, but rather they will be replaced by a spirit of humility, a spirit of kindness and gentleness towards one another. People will have confidence. And anyone who becomes too confident and then, be, then be, starts to become cocky and proud and arrogant, God will have a way of just kindly but nicely correcting them and bringing them into a, a right and proper, proper perspective. So all of that lies ahead for you. You have that incredible role and position to fulfill. God is right now at this time training and preparing a people and you are a part of that. There's a beautiful scripture in the book of Malachi. Let's go to that. The book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament in case you're not familiar, the very last book before the book of Matthew. So if we go back to Malachi and if we have a look here at a scripture that is recorded for us in uh, chapter 3. Notice what Malachi chapter 3 verse 17 says. Well, actually, we should read verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Hey, that's what you're doing here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And if you're at home on your own during the Feast of Tabernacles at this time, don't feel that you are left out and left behind. Maybe you're not in a physically strong position so that you could get to the feast. Well, God knows that. And may I ask that God bless you with a special measure of joy that he will give you at the Feast of Tabernacles that this might be a truly memorable feast for you, even though you are on your own. And if you're just a husband and wife, and you're only on your own together, the two of you, go out of your way to be pleasant and sweet and kind and thoughtful and caring with one another. And after the sermon, take a little time to talk with one another 
and talk about the blessings that God has given you throughout this year, even though you might have had financial difficulty, health problems, uh, maybe some other problems. Just take the time to thank God for what he has given you this year. So let's continue on now with our millennial uh, theme here by going to Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 32. Remember I said we'd be in the book of Isaiah quite a lot. Well, here we are in Isaiah chapter 32. This is talking about the, um, uh, what can we call it, the the agricultural plenty that will be in existence at that time. Isaiah 32 verse 15 says, Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So there'll be great reforestation projects. You know, vast areas of the the world, the Sahara Desert, will have trees growing on it. I don't know whether you know this, but in the region of North Africa, in the times of the Romans, there were so many trees in North Africa, in Libya and Tunisia and right along the the Mediterranean coast, that one of the Roman historians said that you could ride from Alexandria in Egypt to the Pillars of Hercules, that's the Straits of Gibraltar, and never get out (coughs) from under the shade of trees. Because that's not like that now. So God's going to replant a lot of forests. What about the, the cities? Well, notice what it says in verse 14. It says, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys and pastures of flocks. So all of the, the cities of today will be left desolate. But then God talks about a time where he rebuilds the cities. Uh, here in Isaiah chapter 32, sorry, uh, chapter 35. Let's have a look at that, Isaiah 35. Verses 1 and 2. It says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. So here we have this absolutely beautiful picture of the deserts blooming like a rose verse 7 it says the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in the habit in the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it But it shall be for others, whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. (laughs) 
Isaiah must have had fun writing these things, don't you think? As God inspired him to write these wonderful millennial scriptures. Notice Joel chapter 3, the book of Joel chapter 3. This is a reference to a great earthquake that was going to come at the end of the time. In fact, the very last act of God in pouring out of his wrath on mankind will be a huge earthquake that will change the very face of the earth. Joel chapter 3 and in verse 16. Notice what it says here. It says, The Lord shall roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord shall be a shelter and the strength of the children of Israel. It says the heavens and the earth will shake. It gives other references where it says that the islands shall move out of their place. You get the distinct impression that the, the way the world is created at this time and the continents as we know them are actually going to be changed and maybe the when you have a look at a map of the of the world in the world tomorrow it's going to take you a while to get used to it so hmm what happened to uh, the west coast of africa oh well that's somewhere else now um you know what happened to the um uh the bahamas or or what happened to the islands of of the philippines We're going to have to work all that out. It's going to be very interesting. God will have reconfigured the world with the great earthquakes at the end of the day of the Lord. New weather patterns will be established to ensure rain in due season. The world's agricultural output will increase in anticipation of feeding 30 billion people or more. Some estimates have said that there will be 100 billion people living on this earth. Now, we couldn't feed those, that number of people today. But if you think about the world tomorrow, it could easily be the case that we'll have that number of people. Let's have a look, if we can now, in Ezekiel chapter 47. This is a reference here to the waters that are going to come out from under the throne of God in Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 47. It's a beautiful scripture uh, that shows that the pollution of this world and the the oceans of the world and the rivers and the lakes of the world uh, is going to be changed. Ezekiel 47 verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around uh, on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. Again he measured one thousand and brought me through the water, and it came to my waist. And then it says, ultimately in verse four, or five, sorry, halfway down it says, the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, son of man, 
Have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. He said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the valley. Which valley is that? That's the Jordan Valley. And enters into the sea. Which sea? Well, the Dead Sea initially. But because the Dead Sea is so far below sea level, all the water will fill up and then it will flow down through the Arabah into the Red Sea, into the sea at Eilat. And then notice what it says. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. Now it says here in verse 10, and this is where you need to know a little bit about the Holy Land geography. But on the west coast of the the Dead Sea is a a little village called Engedi. And at the moment, it's on the edge of the totally dead Dead Sea. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. It's got a salinity level of six times the the Mediterranean. Actually, it might even be more than six. But notice what it says. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Eneglaim. They will, will be places for spreading the nets. Their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean. Exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river, on this this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month, because their their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine, or for healing. You see, Jesus Christ will be seated on his throne in Jerusalem, in the temple, and out from under his very throne flows water out to the east towards the Dead Sea and then on the other side it flows out to the west down to the Mediterranean and all of these rivers and lakes and oceans that have been polluted by all the terrible terrible uh, happenings of the day of the Lord all of the pollution the the dead fish and all of the things that have just killed the, the waters they will be healed And let me, if I can, give you this most amazing picture. Jerusalem sits on a a high ridge so that if the water flows eastward, it goes down into the Red Sea and then from there into the Indian Ocean. But water that flows to the west flows down into the Mediterranean and out into the Atlantic Ocean. Get this. As those waters flow out and the, and the oceans are healed, the waters will flow from the Indian, from the Atlantic Ocean. They will go down and around the Cape of Good Hope and meet up with the waters that have come down from the, Dead, the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean and join up and then flow down through the Southern Ocean around the southern coast of Australia. By the way, that's if Australia is still there after everything has changed. Then the waters that came out from the Mediterranean 
will go out into the Atlantic and they will go down and around the Cape, uh, um, Cape Horn, around South America and into the Pacific Ocean. And then they will all meet up and around and the whole of the Pacific Ocean will be, will be healed and purified. And as it says, the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's the same symbolism that will be extant at that time. Every aspect of society, culture and business will be motivated from a different way of thinking. Mr. Armstrong used to call it the give way as opposed to the get way. Are you living that way now? I know we'd all like to, but you have pressures upon you at this time where you live to not live God's way. You are living in a society and you have to, if I might say, compete with the arrogance and the pride and the manipulations of people. In fact, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, many of you are going to go back into this world. Don't forget what you have learned from this Feast of Tabernacles. Understand and realize that you have been given a foretaste of the wonderful world tomorrow. You have been given an opportunity to live a new life. Notice Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, sorry, starting in verse 1 to 3. Romans 12. The Apostle Paul here, writing to the Romans, gives them a vision. He explains to them what we might call the restoration of all things. He says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. This world doesn't have their pure ways restored yet. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And then, in verse 18, we have a beautiful scripture that each one of us could live by if it is possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men you know there's a time coming in the future where the kingdom of god is going to be a reality it won't just be the subject of feast of tabernacle sermons the sermons at the feast of tabernacles in the kingdom of god are going to be about the world at that time and how to implement the wonderful plan that God has given them. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 22, the very last <clears throat> uh, chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Because after the new Jerusalem has come to this earth, then we're going to find a most wonderful, wonderful event that takes place and we read about it here in revelation chapter 22 
And we're going to go back to that theme that we read of in Ezekiel 47, the rivers of pure living water. Verse 1, and it says in Revelation 22, verse 1, He showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Look at verse 3. Read it slowly and carefully with me and let, let your mind soak up and drink in the picture that is here. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. And why will that be? Because Jesus Christ has brought about the restoration of all things. <laughs> 